This is The Channel, a podcast from the International Institute for Asian Studies. Welcome to The Channel. I'm Benjamin Linder. Today on the podcast, we're joined by two colleagues for a discussion of gender in East Asian religions. Our first guest, Jingjing Li, is a university lecturer in Chinese and comparative philosophy at Leiden University. Her primary work examines theories of mind and consciousness across East Asian and continental traditions, particularly Chinese Weixi philosophy and Edmund Husserl's phenomenology, respectively. Our second guest, Ying Ro Shou, was a postdoctoral fellow at the Asia Research Institute at the National University of Singapore, and now serves as research coordinator with the Singapore Chinese Cultural Center. She specializes in the intersection of gender and Chinese Buddhist practice. Earlier this summer, Jing Jing and Ying Ro led an international workshop here in Leiden entitled Restaging the Periphery as the Center, Women Communities in East Asian Religions. The interdisciplinary event was organized by the Leiden University Center for Intercultural Philosophy with the support of the International Institute for Asian Studies. In the following conversation, Jing Jing and Ying Ro discussed this event as well as the special issue of the journal Religions that they co-edited earlier this year. In the course of our discussion, they touch on a variety of topics, including canonical religious texts, lay and monastic practices in East Asia, philosophies of mind, and how all of these are both challenged and invigorated through an interdisciplinary analysis of gender. Here are Jing Jing Li and Ying Ro. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you about your ongoing work and also about the workshop that you recently held here in Leiden. Thanks for coming on. In late June, you hosted a workshop entitled Restaging the Periphery as the Center, Women Communities in East Asian Religions. Can you tell us about the aims of this event and how it came to be? This workshop first came about when I had a discussion with Jing Jing on whether there's always a standard narrative that secludes women in their inner quarters and positions women on the margin of their communities. It further prompts us to rediscover previously marginalized voices to explore how women have creatively mobilized resources to map up a communal space, whether real or imagined as a lived reality for their religious practices. By bringing together scholars from different disciplinary backgrounds into a conversation, this workshop aims to explore and rethink women's power on the margin and intends to recuperate untold stories of women's lived experiences while reimagine feminist theories in East Asian cultural sphere. I think as we mentioned earlier, Yunro and I, we actually work on um, very different disciplines. Uh, we first met very interestingly um, back in uh, 2018 uh, during a summer program at Dunhuang, uh, where um, the Mogul Grottoes are. Uh, that was when both of us became very interested in interdisciplinary collaboration um, because prior to that, we never thought it could be possible. But then after the summer program, uh, we were very happy to realize that there are actually a lot of things we can talk about. So two years later, 
uh, we start to actually bring um, bring those ideas to the ground. Uh, that's when we organized a panel on apocrypha texts. So these are texts with very dubious origins at the annual conference of the Association of Asian Studies. So through working on the panel, we started to really think about um, several themes, right? Like agency and lived realities for religious practitioners. Uh, I have to say that I have learned a lot from uh, Ro, uh about how women exercise their agency to carve out a religious space as their way of building and maintaining right, their community. It became um, actually an incentive for me to rethink my own research on Buddhist thought, especially how philosophical theories always fall short in accounting for gendered practices, which was actually part of the reason why uh, earlier I proposed the project to, to unveil on feminist thought in Buddhist philosophy of consciousness only. So uh, last year, when Vivo reached out to me about possible collaborations on women communities in East Asian religions, I said yes right away, because I was also curious about different kind of resources, especially resources outside the field of philosophy about women. Uh, we are, of course, very lucky uh, to receive uh, the support, uh, especially financial support, of colleagues at Leiden's Institute for Philosophy and the International Institute of Asian Studies, IIAS, uh, to make this workshop happen. Yeah, that actually feeds really well into my next question, which you actually partially answered already. How does this theme of the workshop fit within both of your broader research agendas? So in terms of your professional and academic backgrounds, how are you both kind of coming at this topic of East Asian religious traditions and particularly gender within those traditions? I'm from a Chinese history background and based in Southeast Asia. Traditionally, of course, it suffices to read from the text and historical documents, but I always find it quite perplexing for the absence of women in historiography. Entering the field of Chinese diasporic studies, written sources are limited and sometimes biased. Few work is almost essential. So instead of relying on traditional documents, more and more scholars are rethinking the history from the ground and from unconventional historical sources, such as epigraphy, privately circulated documents, temper, or, ten or clan association reports, and so on. So through these new materials, we often find that women's participation in religious communities is strong and visible, important, and could generate social change. We find that the unsettling silence surrounding Chinese women in scholarly works can very much be remedied through up-to-date fewer observation of women's agency, subjectivities, and religious leadership. There, I enter the field by exploring the communities of a group of marginalized Chinese religious women known as the vegetarian nuns. One of my upcoming papers is on how these women, often unmarried or widowed, reconfigured, rebuilt, and reorganized their kinship based on religious lineages, dialect groups, and mutual interests rather than by blood. At the same time, I'm also greatly inspired by philosophers like Jing Jing on how they perceive Buddhist philosophy in a gender lens. The workshop, hence, is a combination of various research questions crossing disciplines of Buddhist studies, anthropology, philosophy, intellectual art, and social history. Yes. Indeed, uh, as we mentioned earlier, I think in anthropology and social history, 
colleagues are actually very mindful of gendered subjectivities and also in gendered intersubjectivities, right? Uh, working with Yunro, I started to perceive my work from a new angle. My research used to be what we call hardcore text-based philosophical study. Uh, in my field, because it's a philosophy, right? So for sure, the mind is presumed to be gender neutral, cultural neutral, so everything neutral. Uh, but this very presumption, right, which masquerades itself as everything neutral, uh, is far from being a standpoint from nowhere. Every standpoint is a standpoint from somewhere, right? Uh, but what is that standpoint? Uh, hence, I don't think feminist theory is a theory for and only for like we say in French, les femmes, right? Feminism, les femmes, or in English, the woman. Uh, rather, it pushes philosophers to reflect upon the values embedded in these unquestioned presumptions in our methodologies and approaches, which I hope um, will constitute a starting point of paradigm shift in our workshop, uh, sorry, in our field. And that's also part of the reason we want to have this interdisciplinary uh, discussion. Uh, through uh, this workshop, um, we start to think about those methodological questions. And those reflections, right, as I mentioned earlier, they are essential to paradigm shift. I'm excited to get into those topics of how feminism interfaces with East Asian religions a little bit later in our conversation. But before we do that, I want to ask a question more about the nitty gritty of how the workshop came together and particularly the order of things. Because as I understand it, the workshop actually emerged after there was a special issue in the journal Religions, which you co-edited together. And often that order is reversed where um, a workshop or a symposium happens first and then it becomes a collection or an edited volume or a special issue, things like that. I don't know whether this was deliberate or not that you did it in that order, but can you just reflect on the dynamic of hosting the workshop after the special issue came out? Did it create any kind of different experiences or a different kind of event here in Leiden? Sure, I think I can answer that question because I, I did a lot of things on the ground. Uh, so indeed, in our case, we did it unconventionally, uh, but uh, I think we also have to confess that we didn't plan to do it unconventionally. It just turned out that we spend a lot of time securing support uh, for the workshop. So eventually the planning time was just like much longer than we thought. And our authors, uh, they, acted much, uh, they acted much faster and they finished their articles way before schedule. Uh, nonetheless, right, uh, now we have already um, had the workshop. So when we look back, this reverse, the order, actually has its own advantages as well. Uh, for instance, uh, first and foremost, uh, each presentation maintains a high quality, right? Because the paper is there. The presentation is very clear. Uh, besides, if attendees of the workshop are interested in, let's say, a particular topic, they can actually go ahead and read the article prior. Uh, that's why uh, we think we had so many thought-provoking, excellent questions uh, from the audience during the Q&A period. Uh, more importantly, right, in this manner, the presenters were not just sharing their current work, right? They also received the questions to deliberate upon for their future research. So we kind of considered our workshop as the one that helps to bridge the gap between our participants' current project and their future ones. Uh, so in this way, it's actually a happy accident. 
Yeah, I was happy to be able to go to, if not the whole workshop, I was able to attend the last panel session and the closing remarks. And I could tell that all the stuff I had missed before was really fruitful and that the questions were really in depth and the conversation that all the papers generated were really engaged and thoughtful. So I wonder both in terms of the special issue and the workshop, can you describe the process of curating the contributions and the various contributors? Given that East Asia is home to many religious and spiritual practices, were there any particular traditions that the event was focused on? Jingjing and I had actually had a lot of discussions on whom to invite and what are the central themes we are going to portray. Although we are both from different uh, disciplinary backgrounds, we have a lot in common. We wanted to depict not only the major religions, but also underrepresented, non-institutional and non-monastic religious communities. We also wanted to go beyond traditionally perceived East Asian areas and include also East Asian cultural spheres, such as countries of Southeast Asia, that receive significant influence from East Asia. We think that a comparative approach will be very valuable and would highlight the interconnectivity of the region and reveal patterns of how gender history and religious history intersect and collide. As a result, in the workshop and in the special issue, we put together scholars from different backgrounds, disciplines, religious communities to experiment a framework that doesn't essentially focus on a particular tradition per se, but on the diversity of the subject matter across East Asia. It would be great to give listeners a sense of the papers themselves and what content was presented at the workshop and in the issue. What were some of the topics that were covered? Sure. Uh, indeed, as Yunru uh, just mentioned, in our special issue, right, the special issue at the Journal of Religions, we have papers that actually cover a wide range uh, of topics. Uh, we have textual studies that reread the canon from a feminist perspective, but even among those papers that um, that are more text-oriented, right, uh, we have authors who are looking at, let's see, a more traditionally um, or standardly speaking Buddhist canon. But we also have authors who are looking at other uh, resources like epitaphs, um, stone tablet inscriptions, right? But we also have um, scholars in literature studies that analyze women's writing, especially women's poetry. And we also have projects about social history of women's festivals and education in diasporic communities throughout different uh, moments in the, uh, in the modern period. But we also have archaeological work, right, uh, with the uh, our history undertone of uh, our women, uh, especially Buddhist women's burial uh, practices during the Sixth Dynasty's period. That's the pre-modern period. So it is really an interdisciplinary mosaic. That's why when we were drafting the program for the workshop, we were also thinking about how to group those papers. So, of course, we could do it in the traditional way, right? The good old way. We can, we, we could have done it uh, through disciplines. We could say, okay, those are the papers in Texas studies. Those are the papers in archaeology. But we kind of considered that way uh, counterproductive. So that's why um, my thanks should really go to Yun Ruo because she came up with the idea that how about we just group those papers based on shared themes, and she actually coined the three uh, terms we have, which eventually become the three themes of specializing feminism, female pioneers, and gendered discourses. And those are actually the ones we listed 
on our finalized workshop program. You mentioned the canon of these various traditions, and I just wonder what are some of the key canonical texts that were discussed at the workshop, whether Buddhist or Taoist or Confucian or otherwise, and how do those canonical texts treat questions of women and gender in those respective traditions? Thank you. This is a really good question and very interesting. It really gives us an opportunity to share our idea of decentering the text. We think that text-centric could be problematic in a sense. What we have in mind is to actually leverage different resources and new materials to show that community building and rebuilding rely not only on text but on many other aspects. Even if um, it is a very popular and classic text, rereading the canon itself entails new experiences and new interpretations. We have a panel primary on text and it brings up exactly that. Multiple interpretations and readings are valid. And we have to use other data to support or sometimes to re-evaluate the text. As Jingjing has shared earlier, we do not use discipline as a criteria of grouping papers, but we go by themes. Hence, we also encourage the use of different texts and materials to rethink how gender questions could be universal. Would you say that gender is a prominent or central concern in East Asian religion, or is it something that researchers need to dig a bit for in order to examine it? In other words, is it a key topic, or is it something that is interesting exactly because it's received relatively scant treatment in the the major canonical religious texts? I want to continue the line of reasoning proposed by Yunwo. So as a research topic, right, uh, gender has indeed been a prominent theme in East Asian religions for quite some time. Uh, Actually, together with the rise of the second wave of feminism, uh, scholars in the field of religious studies, especially um, East Asian religious studies, have started to publish, um, let's see, images of women, female deities, and gender relationship, etc., uh, ever since the 1980s, for instance, in my field, I work on Buddhist philosophy, right? And one of the uh, the, the very eminent scholars in the field, Diana Paul, uh, she works on the Buddhist philosophy of mind. And she published a book, um, Buddhist Feminine Ideal, exactly in 1980, right? So that was already almost 40 years ago. Uh, however, as our key, uh, our keynote speaker, our workshop keynote speaker, uh, Professor Xiaofei Kang, uh, has argued actually repeatedly in her work, it is not just about having gender as the subject matter of the research. It is also about using gender as a, uh, as a category for the research. So I shall repeat this, right? It's not just about having gender as the subject matter or the content of the research. It is also about using gender as a category for the research. That is to say, it is really about gendering our research methodology. It's about gendering the perspective we have to look at different kinds of materials related to woman, womanhood and femininity and gender relationship. Uh, as Prof, uh, Professor Kang said in her keynote, right, and I really want to quote her here, uh, only when we start to gender men, can women enter the center from the periphery? Uh, Both Roy and I actually take this as a call for reflecting upon how masculinity has been degendered into the norm, right? Um, To the point that masculinity almost becomes synonymous with neutrality. So to say that it is neutral, actually 
it's synonymous to say, okay, let's continue to use masculinity as the norm. But if we can actually reflect on this unquestioned presumption about neutrality, I think that's when we can really make a push for paradigm change in the field. That definitely links well with what you were saying before also about philosophy as a discipline, imagining a kind of view from nowhere or a sort of disembodied mind. And this also brings us nicely into the title of the workshop, which was, again, Restaging the Periphery as the Center. How did you arrive at that title and how does it reflect the general project you and your colleagues are undertaking, sort of what you just started hinting at, Jingjing? So first of all, this is a title that is close to our heart. By restaging the periphery as a centre, we do not actually mean to create another centre to replace a previous one, because that would create more problems, of course. The Chautomy is really not what we have in mind. I really agree with Jingjing Jing that to de-gender masculinity into the norm is to neutralise it. Our ultimate aim of restaging the periphery is exactly the same. We want to give liberty to the marginalized community and encourage more interdisciplinary, inter-area studies conversation. At the end of the first day of the workshop, there was a panel entitled Female Pioneers, Women Taking a Lead in East Asian Religions. What is the general status of women in both monastic and lay practices in these traditions? And what are some of the ways that women historically or contemporarily have challenged or transformed these roles? I want to follow up on Yuro's point here because there is, um, we don't think uh, the, the, the line between uh, monastic and, uh, monasticism and the deity is that clear cut. Because very interestingly, all the female pioneers in this specific panel, right, they are actually very far from um, what we would define as religious woman in a clear cut sense. That is to say, right, the protagonists of this panel, they were not what we would consider like a traditionally ordained Buddhist or Taoist nuns. And they were for sure not the standard Confucian uh, good wives and wise mothers, right? No, uh, that's not the case. Our first presenter, Dr. Hong, uh, Hong Yu Wu, uh, talked about this woman, uh, Liu Shu. Uh, she was actually a woman warrior. And it was quite exceptional at her time because usually a warrior, right, like related to martial art, military skills, right? And martial art and military skills were usually attributed to men's virtue, not women's. Uh, But Liu Shu, this protagonist, she lived in a very turbulent time when her dynasty was attacked by another dynasty. So in this context, uh, Liu Shu she ingeniously negotiated the power dynamics, uh, further becoming a role model for several generations of warrior women after her. And such negotiations really nuance the standard image of pre-modern East Asian women, right? Who were usually presumed to be in charge of the inner chambers. And this is even more interesting uh, at the dawn of modernity uh, in East Asia. Um, So this is when we have the next two presentations. So we learned that uh, um, since modernization, women have learned to mobilize more resources to carve out a space for their communities and assume the roles as religious leaders. Uh, We see it as a nice surprise that actually um, across the spatial temporal uh, boundary, 
um, women in um, modern uh, East Asia are exercising uh, their agency. So it's also, for instance, we have uh, female leaders in Yi Guangdao in Taiwan and also one Buddhism in Korea. And female leaders there took the lead to redefine womanhood, gender relationship, and more importantly, social roles. But still, right, even in modern times, women never made the same choice uh, as our presenters, doctors Ye Yingshen and Song Ha Yun, uh, have shared with us. Uh, when liberal feminism was introduced to East Asia, not all women chose to become the so-called new woman right away. Between the traditional and the modern, these women didn't see it as an either-or option. Uh, rather, they mobilized the resources to forge their own paths. Uh, some women chose to get married, while others committed to celibacy. What we find interesting is not only what kind of choices women made, right, but also why. What are the reasons that motivated those choices? So why they made those choices? Uh, for us, these materials are crucial for expanding the current scope of liberal feminism as well. Earlier in our conversation, we were talking a little bit about how feminism or gender is not only a topic of research or an object of research, it's also a, a sort of perspective. It's an academic frame through which to view any all sorts of different data and to raise all sorts of new questions. And so I wonder if you could just reflect a little bit more about that. How does gender allow us to say, read a canon differently, how to identify its gaps and omissions, how to uncover hidden stories and amplify alternative voices, how to say, make the periphery the center? Can you just reflect a little bit more about how gender and thinking about women in these traditions enables new questions to take shape? I recall that one of the attendees of the workshop asked a question during the closing session. He asked, if I'm a person with limited knowledge and interest about gender, then why do I need to engage in a conversation about gender? Why do we need to focus on gender? I think this is exactly why the question of gender is important. As with other kinds of power, discussion of gender is also discussion of power and the power dynamics it brings about. It is definitely a perspective that brings us closer to the reality in history and a clue that informs us the arbitrariness of dominant culture and the suppression of unconventional communities. I think papers in our workshop are valuable because they illuminate different aspects of how gender complements our understanding of East Asian religions. For myself, understanding gender is an opportunity to understand religions better, especially on how religions often depict equalities among human, human beings and serve as a method for spiritual attainment. As we approach the end here, I just wonder if there were any new questions or new ideas for future research directions that arose for either of you over the course of doing this special issue and the workshop. Do you have any plans to continue pursuing these ideas moving forward or are you moving on to other topics? Yeah, sure. Uh, as mentioned earlier, right, uh, we don't see our workshop just as one single event. Uh, we actually consider uh, the workshop as a transitional bridge that connects what has been accomplished already and what can be expected. Uh, so we are thinking about, we're actually, we were talking about this recently, uh, a follow-up workshop or a colloquium 
uh, to further the discussion on gendering the study of modernism in religious studies. Um, this is kind of uh, like an interesting niche because in feminist theories, scholars like Simone de Beauvoir have already elucidated how the entire discourse of modernity is indeed gendered. Uh, for instance, what are the vocabularies we have to talk about modernity? Modernity comes with several characteristics, right? Such as rationality, anti-superstition, transcendence within imminence, etc. Interestingly, all of those terms we I just said, right? They are gendered. Uh, rationality is often seen as a masculine trait, in contrast to superstition that is usually associated with feminality. A transcendence, right? It is always about sacredness as the masculine, whereas immanence is all, always connected with the earthly, right? And the earthly is always connected with the feminine. Uh, however, in the discussion of modernism in East Asian religions, uh, for sure religions play a crucial part. Um, but in, the, in those discussions, scholars continue to use categories such as rationality, immanence, superstitions, so on and so forth, but without questioning whether these categories are really as gender neutral as they are supposed to be. Uh, during our workshop, and especially towards the end of, I think it's the first panel, right? This question was raised already. The categories we were so accustomed to in approaching modernism in East Asian religions, what are our unquestioned presumptions? That is why it will be really interesting to continue the conversation on gendering modernism in East Asian religions. Yes, I totally agree with Jing Jing. For me, I'm interested to further the questions on global exchanges of gender dynamics and see how women, communities, and different culture spheres could connect and interact. Another aspect I'm also interested to explore is the material turn of religion. There have been sus substantial studies about the materiality of Western religions, but not many of them extend to the case of Asia religions. One paper in our special issue focused on the festivity of women, the Qixi festival practiced by Cantonese women in early Singapore, and another one on Longmen Grottoes in China. I think they're a good starting point to bring the issue of materiality to the study of religion and to the study of modernity of religion in Asia. I can say I know that there were a lot of people here at the International Institute for Asian Studies that were really excited about the work you've already done. And I'm sure that enthusiasm continues not just for me, but for everyone here with all the things you've just described. So we look forward to tracking that as you all continue on this journey and continue to ask these questions and raise tentative answers to them. Until then, I want to thank you both very much for coming on the channel to talk with me. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. That was Jing Jing Li and Ying Rou Shou. Thank you for listening to the channel. Please subscribe to receive all future episodes. This podcast is brought to you by the International Institute for Asian Studies, a globally oriented institution based at Leiden University in the Netherlands. We are dedicated to fostering an integrated, multidisciplinary understanding of Asia and beyond, and we would love for you to get involved. For more information on our conferences, webinars, publications, and fellowship program, please visit eas.asia. 
That's I-I-A-S dot A-S-I-A. See you next time.